Hello! Are you ready? It's the last chapter. Excuse me, it's the ultimate chapter. It's the finale. Yeah, of book one. Yeah. We're uh, 20% of the way through. Is it a five book series? Yeah. For some reason I had six in my head. Nope. Because we have five books sitting on the shelf there and I thought we didn't have them all. Nope. We have all the books? I think so. Huzzah. I mean, we only have one copy of all the other books, so, like, we're going to have to share a book, which is, Ew, like, gross. I don't want to share with you. Yeah. That just sounds terrible, doesn't it? Can we go to the bookstore today? Yeah, sure. Yes! Welcome to Chronically Olympus, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing the final chapter, the ultimate chapter, the culmination of all of our work on this book. Chapter 22, The Prophecy Comes True. I am a camper just getting ready to go home after summer, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm an art critic. Just um, perusing some sculpture. Also known as Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi. How are you? I am well. Welcome to the ultimate chapter. The finale. Wow. 22 chapters. I feel like we should have a special theme song for the finales. Yeah. Like we've, uh, we've been doing this for, uh, I mean, what, almost a year now? <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 22 chapters, like... And we've been doing every other for most of this book, pretty much all of this book. So yeah, like at least eight months we spent on this book. With our formatting, it's felt like so much longer than any of the Narnia books, because all of those were like 15 chapters max. And also we were doing weekly on those, so as opposed to the extra time we're taking on these, because our lives are a little crazy right now. Yeah, felt like we've uh, we've spent a lot of time in this one. Uh Uh, I've enjoyed it. I'm going to challenge myself not to talk too much about the book as a whole today because we are just talking about this chapter. There's plenty in this chapter alone yeah. to talk about, though. And we, we do have a wrap-up book uh, episode coming out eventually Yep. <laughs> with a guest. I don't know if we're going to have a guest for this one. Maybe. It's a new It's a new series. Can I just do a different accent and, like... Please don't. <laughs> Please no. I'll be the third person in the podcast. Please no. <laughs> I was going to mess with you, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to after that. Um, <laughs> I know listeners, you can't see the look on Christian's face, but... Uh, <laughs> you can hear it, though. <laughs> yeah. It's very audible. It's an audible look. Uh, anyway, Kristen, how do we start this podcast? We do our summaries. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Would you like to go first, or do you want me to? Um, I'll go first. Cool. Uh, so here is my summary that I wrote as I read the chapter. Mm-hmm. Returning to camp ritual. Mom's decision. The prophecy foreboding. The camp bead. Grover says goodbye. Mr. D is a D. Percy goes to train slash think. Luke has a new sword and Coca-Cola. Percy joins Luke where the hellhound attacked and gets attacked again. Luke monologues. Percy is poisoned, and the water doesn't heal him. 
Did Luke just forget about the nymphs? Chapter 5, Part 2, with Chiron's vision foreboding. Annabeth decides to go home for the school year, and so does Percy. The end. You had a long summary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, that's what happens in the chapter. Should we move on to our um, rewrites? <laughs> um, favorite sentences? What do you want to... Alright. Um, so here's mine. With my touch of whimsy. Grover doesn't get a burial shroud, but does get a license. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Gabe isn't coming back. Probably. Grover is coming back. Hopefully. Great job on the quest, Percy. You get a bead. <laughs> decisions, decisions. Sword names are very on the nose. Luke's a real bad boy with his real coke. Hey, look, Percy figures it out like 15 chapters too late. <laughs> Luke is as edgy as every college freshman ever. Would really love to know how much the gods can actually hear. And let's all have awkward family reunions. Yep. So, um, ultimate chapter. Yep. Here we go. I'm going to go ahead and turn to that in my book. Sorry, that was me practicing my ASMR on the uh, podcast. Yeah, but you're flipping from back to front. And do you think people can hear that? Yeah, but you said you were going to flip to the back. <laughs> so we get back to camp. Yes. From our uh, harrowing adventure, we have returned to Camp Half-Blood uh, to great amounts of fanfare because they're the first ones that have come back from a quest at all since Luke, and they're the first ones in recent memory that have succeeded. You know why? Because they're the only ones who have gone on a quest since <laughs> Luke. Yeah. I guess that's true. So it's not really a big accomplishment. It's still a rare thing. People don't go on quests very often, and especially they, they, they used succeeded. To. They used to. Yeah. They don't know more. But they pulled off some stuff. Um, apparently, while they were gone, everybody assumed they were dead and made the burial shroud. Well, no. It's a ritual. Uh-huh. So the ritual is, and I think that this ritual is really stinking cool. Uh-huh. The ritual is when you go out on the quest, your friends create a burial shroud for you. Yeah. And if you return, you burn it together in a ritual. And if you don't return, they bury you in it. Or they bury it in your place if you don't have a body. Uh-huh. And I think that's a really cool ritual. I don't know. I really like it. It's very morbid, but... I love this <laughs> ritual so much. Like, the idea of, like, returning and burning the burial shroud yeah. is so stinking cool to me. Like, I don't know. I it's the, first, it's the top line of all of my notes page, and it's got arrows all around it. The ritual is cool. That's what it says. <laughs> like, I absolutely love this ritual. That's neat. I agree with you. Why doesn't Grover get one? I And that is why I was like, thank you, when you did your review. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Well, because Rover, Rover, Red Rover, Red Rover. Old G Rover. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's a real OG. Uh-huh. So, Grover is not a hero, as far, in the technical term of half god, half human adventurer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, accomplishing a quest. Yeah. Grover's a companion. 
and Grover is a satyr, and as we know, they don't have souls. Of course not. Um, so, I don't know, I just... There's probably a different ritual within the satyr community that we don't get to see an insight into. Maybe yeah. it's a closed practice. Um, they do say he was brave to the point of indigestion. Yes. <laughs> and horns and whiskers above anything we've seen in the past. Yep. So... Grover's special. He gets accolades. Yeah. Good job. Uh, so they do this ritual and they burn the barrel shrouds. Yeah. Uh, there's fanfare. Uh, Mr. D doesn't care. He's just like, yeah, cool. They're back. Anyway. Yeah. No canoe races this Saturday. Yeah. That's, that's more important. Let's talk about that. Uh, but then Percy settles back into life at camp. Yeah, and he feels less alone, even though he's still in his own cabin by himself. He feels less alone mm-hmm. because he has friends now. Uh, you know, Annabeth and Grover. Yeah, and maybe other people like him slightly more, too. Who knows? Uh, he gets news from his mom. Got yeah. a letter. He gets a letter from his mom. Uh, about how Gabe is mysteriously disappeared. And uh, coincidentally, uh, she sold a statue. Yeah. Life-size statue. Piece of artwork of the uh, poker player. Yep. Uh, made enough money to get a new apartment, to uh, enroll in uh, college. Yay. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, now, look. what were you going to say? Hey, look what? I was like, hey, look, she saves herself. Yeah, yeah. she saves herself. She also <laughs> murders somebody. I kind of deserved it, though. Like, for being real here. Like, there's, the fact, here's the thing. uh Uh-huh. If it was like he was attacking her and hurting her and he was running after her and she ran into the room and opened the box and he chased her in there and turned to stone, that I can justify as self-defense. Uh-huh. The fact that the statue was called the poker player. Yeah. Means that she just plopped it down in front of him on the table where he was playing poker. Yeah. And if he was playing poker. Yeah. You don't play poker alone. Yeah. Which means that other people in the group yeah. didn't get turned to stone because she warned them or because they didn't look or what? Like, I, if the statue was called the poker player, uh huh, you would assume that he's playing poker in the statue form. One would think. I, I mean, like... It's possible that it's just named that because there's no description physically of, like, what he looks like in the statue. Don't worry. I've covered that with my rewrite. Okay. <laughs> I've answered that burning question for you. <laughs> but, like... You're conflicted like, upon this, apparently. It was it, it was definitely self-defense, but it also definitely wasn't self-defense in the moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah, I have big feelings about it. I... I <laughs> Yeah. And it's definitely premeditated. Yeah. That's a thing. So yeah, I don't I I don't know. Like <laughs> Abusers <laughs> I feel like we may be getting beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> but, but... But it still really bothers me. Mm-hmm. 
like I have that's my bottom note on the page is let's talk about Gabe's fate like for real. <laughs> what happens when he turns to stone? Is he dead? Is is his is his soul going to Hades? Like is he is he dead dead? Uh, or is he trapped in this stone statue? Like I mean, we discussed this a bit back when they went to uh to Auntie M's uh and walked through the statue garden and we had the the creepy moments where everybody's just like i feel like those statues are looking at us and like watching us and etc etc yeah um so we talked a bit about the uh the science of uh the mythology the mythology as to whether or not they're aware um i don't know i i think in the mythology like proper they're just dead yeah so sure he's probably being tortured in hades right now yeah, cool. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, old Uncle H might send Percy a letter about him at some point. It's just so <laughs> heavy, though. Like, it's, like, handled in the chapter, like, super whimsical. Like, I got this letter, and my mom saved herself. That's awesome. She's going to college and starting her life over. And even selling the statue of Gabe got her the money she needed to do all of these things. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the core of it, she murdered somebody. Yeah. Yeah. No one could ever prove it because no one's ever going to believe it because of the mythology situation. But, like, and no one who can believe it is ever going to, like, question or challenge her for it. Uh Uh-huh. But does that make it not wrong? I feel like we should move on before we get lost in this uh, I'm, I, ethical quandary. I just, I knew that this was going to be a large part of the podcast for me because, <laughs> oof. Um, anyway, uh, so Percy's wandering around the camp, going through all of the parts of the prophecy. Well, I mean, uh, in the letter, she also invites him to come home for the summer. Yeah. Or, or not, for, for not the... For the reverse summer. Yeah. The other part of the year that's not summer. <laughs> Sorry, I'm... Sometimes uh, the three other seasons. Yeah, I'm a, I am a Floridian, so sometimes my brain just reverts to that, and it's just like no, ten months of the year are summer. Yeah, <laughs> come home for the summer and those three months that aren't summer. Yep, two months. Uh, and he's got to make a decision about that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he doesn't right away. Uh, and so he settles back into routine, uh, wandering about the camp. There's a uh, fun fireworks show. Uh, you know, for celebrating the. Basically, end the of end of the display, Fourth of July, that kind of thing. Oh yeah, Fourth of July. Yeah. that's what it is. Not end of the year. Yeah, well, close enough. Um, yeah, except that it's in the middle of summer. Like if 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 summer starts the last week of May or whatever yeah. and ends the second week of August, like this is still in the middle of the summer. Yeah, uh, I've never been to summer camp. I don't know, like a proper summer camp. I don't know how that works or what the time frame is. Uh, the only summer camps I've ever been to have been five days. Yeah. I've never been to one longer than that. Yeah. I, I've always thought it was a really weird concept. Yeah. Like the summer camp in general. It's like, oh, hey, you've been at school all year, uh, and now it's summer and you get a few months off and we really don't want to deal with you, so please go somewhere else. Uh, because have, having your kid around the house all day is just, it's, it's too much. There, <laughs> you say that, but <laughs> summer camps were always really enriching, like, at least for me, like. Yeah. I got to make new friends. I got to try archery and, um, like, all kinds of stuff that I didn't get to do at home. Yeah. Like, um, 
the summer camp that I went to had a bunch of basketball courts that people were always playing at, pools that people were always in, like a huge skate park. Yeah. Um, archery range, like all kinds of really cool stuff that like made it really fun. And then there was like you were on teams with other groups and like competed in team based sports and stuff like that. Like yeah, and games that were all you know. Yeah, no, I, like I, I, I realize it sounds enriching and fun. Also, to me, it kind of comes back to the, the to the idea that the summer vacations you get when you're in grade school, because arguably doesn't even really apply in college. But like your grade school summer vacations are about the last time ever in your life that you don't have any responsibilities. Yeah, and summer camp isn't about <sighs> responsibility; it's about being away from home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and just being like. I feel like that that should be cherished and be like, this is Don't the last. Don't you remember on Disney Channel, Bug Juice, My Summer at Camp or whatever it was? Like, No. No? No. Okay. I don't. Anyway, moving on from the idea of summer camp. We see a fireworks show. We have a uh, little goodbye moment where Grover is heading out. Yeah. He's, 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 he's heading out on his search. Uh, we don't know where. But they can't go with him because, you know, Pan and humans. Yep, uh, he can't even tell them where. It's kind of a secret, but uh, he is heading off to look for Pan. Uh, and as we know, no Seder has ever returned from this trip. Yep. So I don't know why everybody's excited about getting a searcher's license, because it seems like a death sentence. A little but... bit. <laughs> but he'll definitely make it further than his uncle, who only made it as far as... Uh... New Jersey. <laughs> Medusa's... Uh... Yeah, that really wasn't very far at all. Yep. Cool. I mean, assuming they all set out from Camp Half-Blood, which... Uh, there's got to be satyrs all over the place. Yeah. So maybe he started out in like Italy and made it to New Jersey before, uh, you know, that Italy to New Jersey pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Next. Uh, so there is a, uh, you know, an emotional goodbye with him. He heads off. Um, July passes. And as you said, Percy's wandering about the camp, thinking about the prophecy and how part of it still hasn't really come true. He, thinks and is still uneasy about it well yeah he's trying to convince himself that the prophecy has fully come true yeah and, but he's still super uneasy about part of it so he talks about each line yeah. of the of the prophecy that he's gonna go to the west and face the god that is turned yeah that we did uh but it wasn't the god we thought it was but it was still a god that turned um what's the next line uh you shall find what was stolen uh, you'll find what was stolen and see it safely returned. Yeah, he did that with both the helmet and the lightning bolt. Yeah. Then is it betrayed? Is yeah. that the next line? You'll be betrayed by one who calls you friend. Well, like, he was betrayed by Ares. Uh-huh. And he thinks that that might be it. Yeah. But he's also really unsettled about it because it doesn't feel like feel like that's right. Because he never treated them like friends. Yeah. And so then, you know, but... Failed to save what matters most in the end. Yeah, his mom saved herself, so he yeah. didn't get to save her. So why is he still uneasy? Because he knows that Ares never called him friend. He never looked at Ares as a friend. So the only person he knows that's betrayed him is Ares. Yeah. And Ares, he was never in a position where Ares called him a friend or he felt like he was a friend. Yeah. He never trusted him. Um, so. Just like I never trusted Luke. And I was justified. Yeah, none of us did. Uh, so anyway, it's the last night of summer you camp. You did. 
You didn't want it to be him. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, that was that was like a year ago. I don't know. <laughs> I remember what I thought back then. Uh, anyway, so we had the last night of summer camp. Have a big feast. Everybody gets their beads. Yep. Uh, he gets one with a uh, little Poseidon trident on it. Uh, it's Luke who announces it. Yes. It was unanimous. He says. Yeah. Uh, choice was unanimous. This bead commemorates the first son of the sea god at this camp and the quest he undertook in the darkest part of the underworld to stop a war. Yep. Cool. Woo-hoo! Hooray, bead. Yeah. Uh, Which, as I pointed out, really seems to be the only reward Percy gets for doing this whole quest and stopping a war between the gods. He he gets, like, literally nothing else for it. Except that he doesn't (laughs) die and he does get his mom back. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like... Gets his mom back, whatever. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but she's like, hey, a 12-year-old went out and stopped a war that would destroy the world. Uh, yeah, he's going to come back to camp, and we're going to just keep going as if nothing happened. Yeah. Like, seems very uh, anticlimactic when you think about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he gets recognized, uh, as does... That's, I mean, that's the life of every, like, first responder and soldier and everybody who makes that kind of sacrifice to go and save people and help the world and stuff like that is that at the end of the day they just go home if they're lucky getting heavy in this one (sighs) this book has really heavy (laughs) themes like yeah yeah, he just he goes home yeah that that's a reward yeah uh well he does get recognized with fancy bead yeah uh and applause and whatnot annabeth also gets uh, reluctantly recognized because yeah. they kind of shove her forward and be like hey you were you were there too yep you helped but grover isn't here so yeah. we can't shove him forward he's already left right yeah he got his license you know he got something out of it he, yeah. he gets promotion yeah uh so he also we also describe that he looks like he's grown and he's like matured and he's got you know a mustache now and he's, he's grown up so much in the last month and a half yeah <laughs> he's really hit the maturity which is doubly weird considering that like it says satyrs mature about half as quickly as normal humans yeah so he's <laughs> already like twice percy's age yep and now he's like in a month physically appearance looks like he's now he's just turned turned into older looking yep yep uh that's what you get with the searcher's license, a bunch of hormone shots. Yep. Like, all right, you got to be an adult now. <laughs> uh, and he gets another letter from uh, Mr. D. Uh, make, to Peter Johnson. Yeah, Peter Johnson. Basically being like, uh, make a decision. Are you staying or not? Because yep. if you st- uh, if you don't inform us that you're staying and you're still here after dark, the harpies will eat you. Yep. The harpies <laughs> are set to clean uh, all of the cabins, and uh, they have authorization to eat any uh, un undeclared campers apparently uh there was a fun little detail in this letter that i was going to point out and uh, it is signed by mr d it says in parentheses dionysus camp director comma olympian council number 12 yeah do all of the gods have numbers i don't know i was going to ask about that too because yeah. it does seem interesting um it's like I assume Zeus would be number one. Yeah. Hera, number two. Poseidon, number three. Like, does it correspond to, like, their cabin number as well? Maybe. It's like... Maybe. Ares was in, like, number four. Yeah. 
So we had our whole discussion about whether or not the gods had specific colors, but maybe they also have a number associated. Interesting. I I really don't think that's part of the mythology. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm I'm googling if Dionysus is the youngest child of Zeus or whatever, like of the youngest of the gods. But I'm struggling yeah. because there's a lot of different traditions about who even is his parentage. Yeah. So. So. There you go. Maybe they all have numbers. I thought that was a fun detail to point out. Yeah, I was curious about that because I looked at that number 12 like, that's <laughs> odd. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's a fun line that I wanted to point out right after that that said, uh, that's another thing about ADHD. Deadlines just aren't real to me until I'm staring one in the face. Yep. Is that a thing you have experience with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That's the only reason I ever read any books in college is because I had a deadline to read them by. <laughs> Couldn't read a book before, couldn't read a book after. Yeah. It's the night before. Yeah. the on, There was only one semester that I read stuff before the deadline. Uh-huh. Um, and that was the semester that I was taking 18 credits of all English classes and was going to have to read like 30 books that semester. So I got the full book list for my adolescent literature class and yeah. read... Uh, and read about two-thirds of that book list yeah. over Christmas break. Which, funnily enough, did not include this book or this series. No, but it included Ender's Game and yeah. uh, a few other books and stuff like that. But one of the books that I did have to read for that same class, I had only read about two chapters in up until the night before my paper was due on it. Mm-hmm. So I was locked in, in the closet in my dorm room so I wouldn't keep up my roommates and was reading and writing a paper until about five minutes before class it's like 12 hours straight locked in that closet trying to get that book read and that paper done but yeah like deadlines don't exist yeah here's another thing you learned about me that was a really intense book too it was not a good book to read in one sitting because it was a really heavy book Mm -hmm. that one that one that one was not a good choice Uh uh-huh Anyway. Fun college experience for you. Yep. Anyway, so he's just sitting here deciding whether or not, well, what he's going to do, uh, which he says the decision should have been easy, like nine months of, like, training and doing, you know, hero stuff or, like, nine months of schoolwork. Yeah. Like, one would think. Decisions to make. But also, he wants to go see his mom. He actually has a chance to go live with his mom and, like, not live at, like, a boarding school, like, actually and stay with not her. not have to deal with Gabe. Not have to deal with Gabe. Like, be able to, like, maybe have friends and, like tool around the city and stuff like that yeah like all that being said though and i'm sure in the next book we'll get into like uh how that school year is going or went or whatever but i feel like after all this like he'd have a very hard time relating to any normal people yeah <laughs> like it's like yeah he can go to school and interact with like other like regular kids but at the same time can't tell them about anything that yeah. his life is about. <laughs> yeah. And, like, is he going to be able to make friends and all of that? Is there going to be another satyr at his school that he's just going to spot? Yeah. And just walk up to and be like, yo. And they're going to be like, uh, could you not? Yeah. They're apparently at most schools. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But I, I think it'd be interesting to explore that. Um, so, anyway, he goes down to, to work on this idea out of his head. He's going to go down to the arena and do some sword practice. And who does he meet down there? Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. It's Luke. Oh, hey. With his new sword. With his new sword. He Backstabber. Has new... Back, backbiter. Backbiter. Yeah. 
It's got a fun new sword uh, that Percy points out. Uh, it's got uh, two completely different edges. One is iron, one is bronze. Yes, and we just Percy just sits there and watch Luke destroy every single uh, fighting dummy uh, in in the arena, basically. Uh huh. Which uh, I thought was a kind of an interesting concept here. Uh, and you know, if I if I may nerd out about another book series mm-hmm. um, that uh, you know, I never do that. Yeah. You know. Uh, however. Uh, so in the Witcher lore, so the Witcher book series by Adrian Sapkowski, um, and game series and whatnot, you, you might've heard of it from Netflix, uh, at, at a certain, like, it doesn't start out that way, but it becomes a certain thing in the lore that like witchers who are these monster slayers carry two swords because one of them is silver for monsters and one is iron for humans. Mm -hmm. And I read this and I was just like, we could just make one sword with two different edges. You have a silver edge and an iron edge and, like, only have one sword. You say that, however. <laughs> silver is a much softer metal. And yes. if you hit silver with iron, uh-huh. it's going to be nicked and damaged and uh, much more severely than the iron would be. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, having each side be something, if you're actually, like, in this setting with Luke... He's not going to face a lot of people with iron swords in modern day worlds. Probably not. Like mortals, people that he would need an iron sword against. Yeah. Which he's not supposed to use anyway because he's not supposed to hurt mortals, but whatever. Uh-huh. But in the Witcher world, we're talking about a fantasy setting in which a regular like iron sword would be a common Useful. weapon yeah. that you would be fighting against. So, yeah. uh, like, I agree that that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I do think that it has a disadvantage in an actual fantasy setting to have a silver sword. Yeah. Understandable. But no, I I, I do also like the idea of having a having a two-sided sword. Like that makes sense. It also you know, seems yeah. like a problem. Also, it's kind of against the rules because Percy point as Percy points out uh heroes in his aren't own sp- head. Yeah. yeah. Heroes aren't supposed to uh attack mortals in the first place yeah so so heroes shouldn't be carrying weapons that can hurt mortals yeah one would think i don't know i mean like riptide can't yeah but like (sighs) could clarice's spear don't know is it made of celestial bronze i don't know like can celestial bronze just not hurt people because like percy's magic sword is different because it doesn't like it it forms magically out of the pen yeah and he's not carrying around an actual physical sword like yeah is celestial bronze like if it stays a sword all the time is it not still a sword like if i throw a piece of bronze at you it's gonna hurt just as much as if i throw a piece of iron at you of the same weight well we also get into that a little bit because when percy approaches luke he's using this sword and uh attacking and tearing apart these dummies which Percy uh, sees and immediately is just like, oh, he must be using an iron sword. Yeah. So, like, can we assume that Celestial Bronze just doesn't interact with normal matter at all? Does he say that specifically? Because I missed that. Yeah, he says... Hang on. Uh, he said, he was working solo, wailing on battle dummies with a sword I'd never seen before. It must have been a regular steel blade because he was slashing the dummies' heads right off, stabbing through their straw-stuffed guts. Okay. 
So it's kind of implying that the bronze just doesn't work on matter in general. Interesting. <laughs> so there you go. Huh. Cool. That's weird. I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, we can put that in the lore bucket and see if it stays. Which, like, I mean, we'll put that in the lore bucket. That opens up a whole, like, a huge can of worms about, like, battle possibilities because, like, it would seem like if that's the case, any given monster can just hold up a piece of cardboard uh, and be totally fine. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> it also reminds me a lot of, like, within Dresden where we have constant use of mortals as, like, a shield because magic users can't kill mortals with magic without violating one of the laws of magic. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like... Which most of the bad guys in that book don't really care about so it's, it's neither here nor there yeah but they'll throw but they they know that there's good guys coming after them yeah. so they throw humans as meat shields at yeah. them yeah and be like no ha ha they're we're just gonna put a bunch of humans in this building around us and you can't do anything yeah anyway so we'll get more into sword lore later uh i guess uh but the important part is uh this conversation between percy and luke uh Luke invites him out to uh, go on a little wandering uh, in the woods, uh, which Percy feels unsure about and then is tempted with... Uh, Coca-Cola. With real Coke. Out of a can. Yeah. Like, because the cups at the table can make it, but, like, how did he get it here? Well, uh, apparently it has to be smuggled in by satyrs or something because yeah. it's not for sale at the camp store for sure. But, you know, the satyrs definitely would want that in there because they eat the camp. Yeah, so if they... There's probably, like, a whole underground, like, ecosystem, uh, what do we call it, financial system, uh-huh. of, like, the satyrs bring in the cans and give them to the kids, and the kids drink them and give the cans back, like, a recycling deposit so that the satyrs can eat the tin. Yeah. Like, where are the satyrs getting all of their tin? Like, might as well have yeah. the, the kids want the sodas. It's a, it's a whole black market thing yeah. here. Black market. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, and this is a weird, this is a fun, uh, I'm trying to come up with a non-awkward way to say this other than line walking section, which sounds dumb. Uh, but this is a fun section of the book that kind of walks this line of, you know, how, how much of a bad boy can we make Luke in this book? Because we're still writing like adolescent fiction for like 12 year olds. So, (laughs) so it's just like, you know. So Luke's off here being, like, a real lonesome rebel, but, like, isn't, like, pulling out, like, a six-pack of beer or anything. He's just like, oh, no, I got some real Coca-Cola. And, like, you know, later he says, like, to heck with something. It's like he's this really, like, bad dude who can't curse either. So it's a, it's a, it's very, like, yeah, it's very, like, we're we're really showing. (laughs) It's very Disney villain material. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, they wander off they talk about this quest uh and how percy succeeded and how luke kind of failed uh and how he uh i liked the question though because luke specifically asks percy do you miss it Uh uh-huh and percy was like do i miss being afraid all the time and uh, like getting attacked every day every day and then he's like yeah i do do you yeah and that's when we get, like, this very interesting emotional reaction out of Luke. Yeah. Uh, where he has flashbacks, I mean, he goes back to the whole thing with uh, Thalia, who was Zeus's kid that got killed coming to the camp. Um, and he seems resentful of the fact that he's basically been stuck here, like, and talks about the one quest that he uh, was allowed to go on 
which was to go and get a golden apple from the garden of Sparides? Asperities, I think, is the way you'd say that. I don't know. You want to look it up? Uh, we need to get, like, a poster in here of Greek name <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, we're just going to go with that. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. Uh, I, I, I didn't uh, point out the lettering. He yeah. letters first. Yeah, and we Big have deal. Percy very specifically address that in his head, being like, I th- thought that was really weird because yeah. we all know better than to treat the woods like that because of the nymphs and the dryads. And yeah, we don't treat the woods this way. We respect them. Yeah. Um. And that's that's part of where my line of like, did Luke forget about the nymphs? Like. That's not directly about the... That's about what happens later. Yeah. But, like... Yeah. Anyway, it looks very disenchanted with the whole thing. Uh, and then, uh, just kind of apropos of nothing, like, snaps his finger, opens up a hole in the ground, and a big scorpion crawls out of it. Not a big. A, a hand size. A normal size scorpion. I don't know. I've never seen a scorpion in person, so... Oh, they're, they're like, that big. Okay. Cool. Never I've, seen a live one. I've never seen a live one. I've seen about 15 dead ones in the middle of the road on my hike up to Doi Suthep in Thailand. It's like we walked up that road and it was uh-huh. like a, I don't know, like five mile walk up the road. Yeah. And there was dozens of these things just dead having been run over ah. by cars on the road we were walking up. That's fun. Super disconcerting <laughs> to just be like, I just see a bunch of things that have gotten run over, which means probably three feet to my left in the bushes, there's probably hundreds of them. Yep. <laughs> Don't go into the bushes. It's like one of those things where you're like driving around and you see one dead skunk on the road. You're like, mm, that's weird. You see 15 dead skunks on the road. You're like, mm, <laughs> hmm, hmm, maybe we don't want to breathe outside. <laughs> Breathing outside is a bad idea today. Uh, anyway, Luke is all disenchanted, and he starts g- monologuing, uh, as he put down, about, like, how useless it all is, being pawns of the gods, going on quests for, like, their amusement, and, like, this is all dumb. Um, the gods aren't original, like, the quest he was sent on was when Heracles did, like, yeah. like, yeah. Percy finally realizes in the midst of all this that, uh, oh, hey, it's Luke. He's, he's the one who betrayed us, and, yeah. like, he's the one that gave me the magic shoes and like it was his whole plan from the beginning mm-hmm. oh hey he's trying to kill me right now that's a clue as well um <laughs> uh and he goes off uh, about western civilization and how it's a disease and we need to burn it to the ground mm-hmm. and it's just like this is like you know every freshman liberal arts major yep he's just like discovers communism for the first time yep i'm gonna go in the woods drink some coca-cola and talk about <laughs> how uh all of Western civilization is built to fail. Yep, it's too decadent and opulent. We need to start over something more honest and down to earth, uh, which apparently to him looks like um, most humans living in the Stone Age and uh, everybody else serving Kronos. Yeah, that's a that's a more honest type of civilization. I don't know. Sure. Uh, I mean, but- if. The thing is that there isn't even a tiny bit of logic going on in his brain because he's like, we're just here for the amusement of the gods and that's what I hate. But, you know. I'm going to serve Titan. I'm going to serve this Titan who just wants me for what I can do for him and everybody else should die who doesn't serve him. Yeah. Like, really? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's 
obviously quite a bit of manipulation that Kronos has done yeah, here. Yeah, like, yeah. Luke is fully in his pocket. Uh, but Luke goes into this about how he started having dream- dreams about Kronos, much like uh, Percy did. How Kronos gave him this whole plan uh, to yeah, be it unique. Was, it was originally Kronos' plan just to use Luke yeah. to get the lightning bolt and the helmet both. Yeah. And kind of played on his ego a bit, and is just like, wouldn't you want to do something that nobody's ever done before? Like, you could be, you know, this big name, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then he fails. He was supposed to bring him to Kronos. Fails at that. Uh, but Kronos tells him how to manipulate Ares and got him on board with it, mm-hmm. with the war between the gods. Basically, we have the classic villain monologue of him describing the entire plot of the Yeah, book. telling exactly <laughs> what he did. All right, so I was there, and the security was awful. The gods don't think anyone would steal from them. They're so pompous. Yeah. I got the helmet. I got the bolt. I was halfway across New Jersey before Ares caught me. Yeah. And then I was able to convince him to try to start a war with these things. Yeah. Uh, and then talks about how he failed and how obviously Percy was like the backup stooge for this plan, like plan B where, you know, he could manipulate Percy into doing all this stuff. Um, cool. But after he monologues, uh, he is just like, yeah, cool. Good to know you. Uh, you were supposed to die in Tartarus. So good luck with the scorpion. Uh, and then, uh, opens a fun portal and just pieces out. Yeah, he just disappears. Like, yeah. he uses his so- magic sword to, to slice a hole c- in reality, c- <laughs> yeah. opens a portal to another nether, and... Yep. It's a pretty, pretty powerful sword. Yeah. can do all kinds of things. Apparently he doesn't need it to open portals to hell, though. He can just snap his fingers, and that happens. Well, that's a summoning, because yeah. he had... And we find out also that he is the one who summoned the hellhound, too. Yes. Uh... Which where does that where where does that come from? About trying to get no 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 no, no, no. like where, where does his power for that come from? Is that like Kronos? Because like I feel summoning like summoning seems like it is just a thing people can do if they have the right tools. At least okay. that's what it seems like here. Yeah, because I had a question there too about like he seems to be summon summoning things from Hades, which is like still the domain of Hades. It's it's so awkward to talk about when the yeah, god and the place but, are the same name. Um, but with that said, <laughs> he is also the son of the god of travelers. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it yeah. does make sense that if he does have some kind of magic abilities of his portals. own, like Percy has water powers, that it would be portals. Yeah. Now he's thinking of portals. Yep. <laughs> Cake is a lie. The Coke is a lie. <laughs> Listen to us reference a 15-year-old video game. Hey, anyway. <laughs> stop making me feel old. <laughs> um, the coke is a lie, though. That's, uh, thank you. That amused me. Yeah. Uh, so he takes off to this portal. Scorpion lunges at Percy. Um, he manages to uh, Percy manage, manages to, ke- like, hit it with his hand and sword swipe it, like, in half. boom, boom, like, down. Uh, but not before it stings him yep. in the hand. Uh, and that is apparently a grievous wound that even water does nothing about. Yeah, he jumps straight into the water knowing that it has saved him before. Nothing. Yeah, pit scorpions apparently pretty hardcore. Yeah, he didn't think to like pull the water to him and like hit it with the water. You know, like that. that's what I was thinking. I'm like, they're right by the river. Like anything that Luke throws at him, he can just slap it with the water. Like, nope, apparently not. Yeah. 
Uh, so he realizes he has to make it back to camp in a hurry, gets up, starts stumbling out. Um, He's and got then, 60 seconds is what Luke told him. He'll die in 60 seconds after that sting. Yeah. Uh, sees the nymph stirring in the trees. Uh, Yells and, for help. Yeah, and then blacks out. Um, which why point point out... Um, actually, I don't point out the nymphs, do I? You point out the nymphs yep. in your... Okay. Were they mine, watch- was, mine was, did Luke forget about the nymphs? Yeah, like, were they watching this whole thing? Were they there the entire time? Did they, like... Could they have done something about the scorpion and just didn't? Like, what? Well, if your rewrite's going to answer my questions about the artwork, then my rewrite's going to answer your questions about what the nymphs were doing. Okay. Cool. Because <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to call that a plot hole, but it's just like, what were they doing? Were they just sitting here watching this whole thing play out? I mean, it's cool that Percy has per- possibly corroborating witnesses uh, that can confirm his story. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Anyway, he blacks out. He wakes up back in the, at big, camp, house in the big house uh, with Annabeth over him, giving Just him like some nectar. Just like chapter five. Crazy. It's like chapter five, part two. Yep. We've come on back. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, uh, you were almost dead when we found you. If it wasn't for Chiron's healing magic, uh, wouldn't have been great. So got you out just in time. You would have been revisiting Uncle Hades. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have been thrilled to see you. Uh, and then... He relays the story, tells them all about, uh, well, I, I would like to think that he just relays word for word Luke's entire monologue. And she's like, and then he said this. And then yeah. Said, um, and then uh, Annabeth gets very sad. She doesn't want to believe it, but yeah, she does. She still had a big crush on him. Uh, and then Percy is immediately just like, no, nope, need to get up, need to go for vengeance, track him down, kill him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he can't even hold a sword at this point. Yeah. So Kyron's just like, hey, settle. Yeah. Let's, uh... And Percy wants to know more about Chiron's vision from the Oracle. And Chiron has been prohibited from telling Percy anything about his vision because Percy knows that he was in Chiron's vision somehow. Yes. And... There's Chiron starts trying to like skirt around it, and there's a peal of thunder. Like the gods are just like stop. So apparently the gods know at least one at least one of the gods capable of making lightning. You yeah. know, we know one of those. Um, and this is this has come up before, but I wanted to bring this scene up specifically because I feel like this opens the biggest gaping plot hole in this book that you could drive a truck through. Yeah. Because it seems like, based on this interaction, and Beth, uh, back in Chapter 5 or whatever, when Percy first learns about how not to use the gods' names and whatnot, that, like, the gods are pretty much always listening to stuff. Because, like, Karen, Chiron just casually starts talking about the prophecy a little bit, and Jesus is immediately just like, no. Yeah. So, how much can the gods hear? And, uh, and based on that answer, does the plot of this book make any sense at all? Because, like, if the gods could hear the entire conversation with Percy and Ares, like, how how far back did they know that Percy wasn't at fault? Like, how like how did Zeus not know that it wasn't actually you know Poseidon uh, trying to seize power or Hades or what? Like, what can and can't they hear? Yeah, because I feel like the rules aren't consistent, and that like completely changes what the entire. I think it has a lot to do with just what they want to. 
like the gods are fickle and if they don't want to pay attention they don't pay attention if they want to pay attention they pay attention if they're distracted by something they're distracted by something yeah i just cool that frustrates me yeah no i agree because <laughs> it seems like they they can have some sort of omniscience but like not always yeah so it's very uh it's very convenient yeah uh Anyway, at some point when we have uh, Reard on the show, we can ask him. And <laughs> be like, what were you thinking here? What, uh, what, what are the gods all about? What were you thinking? <sighs> what are the gods all about? Anyway, so Chiron can't tell him anything about his destiny. Uh, but Chiron but... has to go to report to the gods about this. Yeah. So because... apparently they're not paying close enough attention. That... Yeah. yeah, Chiron just can't step outside and say it loudly enough and they'll hear it. He has to go there and deliver the news in person. Why? Anyway, sorry. Um, I'll move on from my frustration. Probably a good idea. Uh, does urge him to think about what he's doing for the rest of the year. Yeah, and with that, we have Chiron making a point of, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. But Percy knows that Chiron wants him to stay. Yeah, I mean, like... Chiron can train him. Chiron can protect him. Yeah. He'd be safer here, for sure. Yeah. Rather than going out in the world. So, I don't know. I mean, yes. It's like, I feel like a lot of the danger that Percy was in came either directly from, like, all of the gods, like, basically being against him, and, like, Zeus and Hades both thinking that he was at fault. Uh, and, you know, also, obviously, Kronos. But now that Luke is on the run, uh, and he and Hades are cool, and Zeus isn't out to get him, I feel like it's going to be a lot safer for him out in the world than it was. Except that he is a son of one of the big three. Like That's true. That's All of the monsters are going to be drawn to him. He's going to get hurt and attacked all the time. He's going to be at school in a sea of monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's what they're first to? I don't know. I'm just saying it's... It's it's there. It's a thing. So anyway, Chiron obviously wants him to stay. Uh, man, get better, be safe. Um, but that's a decision. And then Chiron makes some cryptic statement to Annabeth about uh, them waiting outside. Yep. And Percy's just like, who's that? Nobody cares to answer him. Uh, but then they have the conversation about how uh, Annabeth is leaving for yep. the year. She's not going to stay here. This is the first summer since she's come to the camp that... She- Oh, why can't I say anything but the word summer? (laughs) This is the first year since she's come to the camp that she is leaving the camp after summer. uh, Because she took Percy's advice. Yeah, and and did he really give her advice? Or did he just kind of challenge her thinking? Like, she was like, he doesn't want me. We're in conflict. And he was just like, really? Really? That wasn't advice. (laughs) Anyway, so she takes Percy's advice and writes a letter to her dad and basically says, if you still want me, I'll come home. Yeah. And he said yes. And they're going to try to try again. Yeah. So maybe we'll get some updates on that in the next book. Yep. We'll see. Cool. So. We better. She's leaving, which would uh, pretty much leave Percy entirely alone at camp because I guess nobody else. Except for Clarice. Does she stay there, yeah. too? Okay. Yeah, it specifically said that, like, Luke, Clarice, and Annabeth would still be there. So without 
without Luke, without Annabeth, it yeah. would just kind of be like him and Clarice at camp for the school year. Yeah, it doesn't sound very appealing, does it? No. That might have uh, helped his decision a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, they have a little goodbye moment. Uh, they talk about plans for next year when they come back and, you know, we'll try to get a quest to hunt down Luke. And if they don't give it to us, we're just going to do it anyway. Yep. Because screw them. Uh, and she heads off after they have a really awkward handshake. Yeah. Seems weird given all they've been through. It's like, all right, <laughs> have a good year, friend. Yeah, he's also he's also not physically well right now. Like <laughs> she has to help him out to the porch of the bill of the house. Yeah, and um, what's the what's the name of the uh, the watcher guy? Argus. Yes, he's just kind of like, no, you you can help him. Yeah, I'll I'll be back here watching. Well, he's tired from having to lug all the Gucci suitcases around for the uh, Aphrodite kids, so. <laughs> That was a thing we didn't mention, but uh, yeah. that happens. It's like Aphrodite, goddess of love, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, obviously, like, they're probably all really good looking, but, like, does that also mean they're all rich? Because, like, seems to imply they also come from very well-off uh, families. Well, who would Aphrodite make children with? Yeah, I guess that's true. She's got taste. She, she's she's a, got rich taste. She, she's not out there slumming it with the, uh, the candy shop workers of the yeah. world. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> Not like Poseidon. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they say goodbye. Uh, Percy has one last moment of being like, yeah, gonna head out in the world, gonna face whatever's out there. Uh, C doesn't like to be restrained. Yeah. Uh, I am my father's son, uh, this moment of, uh, of self-affirmation. Uh, and goes home. Yeah, he decides to go home. The end. End of the book. Hooray! Hooray! Did we miss anything in that? In the actual discussion of the chapter? The only thing that I think that we missed is Percy reflecting on the fact that he thinks his father is proud of him or that he knows his father, like, was said he did a good job. We have that little moment. Yeah. Yeah, which apparently means a lot to him, even though he'd be still very not sure about yeah, and he knows that Poseidon. Poseidon's not sure about what to do either, so, like... Very awkward relationship. Yeah, and I think that that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. I'm I'm sure this is going to stay awkward up until, like, the last book in this series. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that getting resolved, like, right away. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, besides the way his dad feels, all of the emotions, I think, were resolved. So, yeah. yeah. What's next? Uh, next, we do our favorite sentences. Okay. This chapter didn't have a ton of sentences that stood out to me. So I just, I don't have backup sentences. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and do, well, I did my summary first. You do your favorite sentence first. All right. Uh, my favorite sentence was was nice. It wasn't like an A plus sentence, but you know. Yeah. Uh, so mine was as follows. I'd finally found a family. People who cared about me and thought I'd done something right. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot. There's a lot of emotions in this chapter. Yeah, mine is a little more goofy and whimsical. Mine is uh, from uh, from Mister D's letter. Yeah. If you do not announce your intentions, we will assume you have vacated your cabin or died a horrible death. Yep. <laughs> Naturally. That's all. Cool. Uh, 
Well, if we need to keep that segment around for the next uh, the next book, I don't know. I like uh, it. I like it. This this thirty second segment, uh, we could just include that with our summaries or something. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I like it. I like it because it harkens back to taking like our five sentence summaries, where we were taking sentences out of the chapter to do the summary. Yeah. Because those were, like, impactful sentences to us. And I like pulling out very specific impactful sentences from the text. Yeah. So, we can do it optionally, maybe, going forward. But I like it. Okay. We could save 30 seconds of time off of this this record. That's important. Uh, All right. Would you like to go on to our last segment? Sure. What's our last segment? For So for this segment, we rewrite the chapter from a different character's perspective uh, as a fun creative exercise. Yep. As I have mentioned uh, previously, and as you might have guessed from my intro, I wrote it from the perspective of an art critic who's looking at uh, Sally Jackson's first piece. Yep. So would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Um, I think yours is going to be funny and I'd like to end on a funny note. Sure. So I'm going to go ahead and do mine. Mine is from the perspective of one of the wood nymphs. Mm-hmm. The woods are always different at the end of summer. The energy of the campers is constantly changing, frenetic, growing, and dying. So much sadness and joy at once. Even the monsters in our woods feel the shifts and steer clear of the campers. And here comes... The Hermes and Poseidon spawns, Luke and Percy, searching for the monsters we know they won't find. My sisters and I give them space, as the monsters do. It wasn't until Luke, that cursed son of Hermes, tossed his rubbish onto the ground. I've heard excuses before, like, but it's Seder food. (laughs) But Luke, no. That one isn't new. I'd expect it from Percy, the new one. And my sister and I came back to tell Percy what we thought of his trash and litter. But as we approached, we heard Percy call out for help, and we saw him stumbling toward the camp, poisoned. We gathered him and took him with all haste to Chiron. I've heard he lives, and my sister saw him pack his things to leave later that night. Good luck, young hero. That's fun. It's Seder food, you know. It's Seder food! <laughs> Good job. All right. Was that here, mine? Yeah. Now, as you can clearly see, the level of depth and detail on this piece is simply astounding, and all the more so for a self-professed first-time creator. The caliber of artistry here, from a novice and one who's no spring chicken either, I might add, is unheard of. In a stunning rejection of classicism, our subject is portrayed as grotesque, a monster in human form. You see, the shadowing and variations in the marble used to highlight sweat stains on the undershirt. These, these small imperfections here on the chest? Crumbs from the expertly rendered nacho chip in the subject's right hand. Don't get me started on the face. Oh, the face. The sheer visage of horror, so lifelike, you expect at any moment to hear a scream. What is it that our poker player has seen that horrifies him so? Is it his apparent cross... Is it his opponent cross the tables 
winning hand? Or is it more insidious than that? Perhaps even his own reflection, as he, in a moment of clarity, realizes what his life has become. Oh, that was much more beautiful and intense than I expected it to be. I expected it to be whimsical, whimsical and goofy. That was beautiful. Thank you. Wow. I'm uh, I'm good at BSing art, <laughs> even fictional art. Yep, even art you made up in your head. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. anything else we wanted to hit on before we uh wrap this up? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, dear listeners, as we discussed Chapter 22 of The Lightning Thief. Join us next time as we discuss the entire book. Probably. Yeah. No, we're doing a book wrap. There's no probably. We will do a book wrap episode. Whether or not we're going to have a special guest on is a question up in the air, but we will wrap up the book. Absolutely. Join us next time as we discuss the entire book of Mm -hmm. The Lightning Thief. Yeah. In the meantime, you can interact with us on social media at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of Luke holding a six pack of Coca Cola. I was going to say a pit scorpion. Oh, a pit scorpion? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> at Chronically Podcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Chronically Podcast. If you're cool like that, don't worry, you don't get anything in return for it. And until next time, never swat at a scorpion with your hand. (laughs) And uh, don't forget to turn your sword the right direction. Oh, you know what I just remembered? We never talked about the whole clean your sword thing. Like, we never did that after Percy uh, and, and Ares had their fight. Yeah. And, and and after like echidna, like we we have failed to make the clean your sword joke so many times in this book. We really have. Yeah. I just Thanks. thought I'd share that. Don't forget to clean your sword. There you go. You happy now? Yeah. Cool. Alright. Thanks. <laughs> Next time, bye. Bye. Because Rover, Rover, Red Rover, Red Rover. Old G Rover. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's a real OG. Uh-huh. Sure. What's our last segment, Crease? So for this one, uh, we write you. Yeah, I'm having him. food. In the letter, she also invites him to come home for the summer. Yeah. Or, or not, for, for not. The, for the reverse summer. Yeah. The other part of the year that's not summer. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sometimes... Uh, for the three other seasons. Yeah. I'm a, I am a Floridian, so sometimes my brain just reverts to that, and it's just like, no, ten months of the year are summer. Yeah. <laughs> come home for the summer and those three months that aren't summer. Yep. I like our silent high fives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the audio medium, it's important <laughs> that we have a silent high five next to the mic. 
does urge him to think about what he's doing for the summer. Yeah, and we end or, it, not this second this summer for the non-summer for the rest of the year. Percy goes to train slash think. Oh, okay, sorry. I gotta I gotta start over. Oh my god. First summer since he's come to the camp that. Oh, why can't I say anything but the word summer? <laughs> he he's off being like a, a lonesome wanderer, uh, cool guy. I keep, keep wanting to say the word bad, and I can't because I can't curse in this <laughs> podcast. <sighs> anyway. Anyway, moving. Thesaurus. <laughs> Bad. Uh-huh. Rebel is a good word. Okay. Spark plug. <laughs> He's soft penis. A real spark plug. An agitator, a rebel. 